just doesn't seem like something. I'm a new man after I got this mustache yesterday. Mm. I make whole. I wore jeans for the first time in my life today. For some in your life. Yeah, in my adult life. Yeah. Mustache and jeans. Yeah, I have Pretty to. Pretty soon you'll be smoking a Marlboro. <laughs> <laughs> Concentrated facial hair. Mm. You're spread all over. But now you know you're on mission. Yeah. The upper lip mission mm-hmm. is happening. It reminds me, it's funny, like if you go to Spain or something, you see all these pictures of Jesus with a, a big mustache. <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's hilarious. He's the man of the people. <laughs> we can also just use the bleep. bleep me. Yeah, could you bleep me a couple times? Yeah, I. I just I, midway I, through. <laughs> oh, Ethan, what do you think about that? That's <laughs> very insane. I could make any of these our intro, honestly, the last eight minutes. So. <laughs> I'd like to welcome to the episode today a guest, our first two time appearance mm. on the show. Father Ethan Moore. Father Ethan, welcome. Welcome, Father. Howdy, y'all. It is good to be with you once again. I feel honored to be part of the Red Hawk Revival. Sheep dogs. Sheep dogs. Last time I was here, that was not what it was. Mm. We didn't have a name. Oh, that's right. Now there's a name. So it's great to be part of this pack of men that are Mm. running towards the Lord and our followers the many of thousands of people that are listening in from week to week that are getting the knowledge and wisdom that y'all are bringing. So, mm. great to be with you. Mm. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, so today we are going to be talking about, uh, actually, the March for Life, which we all, minus Michael. Yeah. Ouch, ouch. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Michael had presidential matters to take care of. But, uh, yeah, we went on this last weekend, and it was so powerful every year I'm just like so there's something to take away and for me personally it was my seventh time on the march and I'm sure you and father uh, Jacob both have been on uh, if as many times if not more and so we're gonna be diving into that today things we learned things we took away and just like devoting ourselves back again to the pro-life movement which is so crucial to being a Christian so um, father Ethan could you lead us in a prayer this morning I'd love to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God, we give you praise for the gift of life that every human person, you are intimately involved in their creation, that you know them, that you love them, and that you want for them a fullness of life, an abundant life. God, may we in this time share your vision for humanity and enter more deeply into our own call to follow you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, so I was thinking today, starting off, to ask both Father Ethan and Father Jacob, could you guys each share your own like most powerful encounter story from the March for Life? Maybe it was something you heard 
at the march. Uh, I was just reading somewhere, Students for Life had an estimate that 150,000 people actually were there in Washington, D.C., and that was with all the COVID restrictions and everything, so I'm sure even more would have came if, if they didn't cancel. So there was so many people there. We heard from amazing speakers, Father Mike Schmitz, uh, Katie Shaw, who was a Down syndrome advocate, and then the next day at the Pro-Life Summit, we saw former pres- uh, Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, we saw Kristen Hawkins, President of Students for Life, Michael Knowles, uh, who is powerful as well, and so many other speakers. So yeah, if, if either of you, take a, take a shot at it. Sure. Yeah, so, uh, well, I didn't think of this. I'm glad you asked the question, Johnny, because I didn't think about this until just now, but you're mentioning like what really uh, hit us personally, and uh, it's funny, this story, I wasn't really planning on telling it, I forgot about it, but just when you mentioned that, like in a personal way, right? So my personal encounter, uh, this was a few years back, actually, before seminary, and it was after college for me, and I went with a bunch of friends. We just, it's a small pro-life group in Cincinnati. We decided to just take a, rent a van, take 15 people up to the march, which was great, stay on the floor of a church. And I remember post-march, we went out to a restaurant just to grab some food. You know, we had a, a meal afterwards before we were going to drive back. And there was a young woman in the parking lot who I encountered, and somehow I started a conversation with her. I don't even really remember how it started. And she just said, I thank you guys for being here. Um, you know, I uh, actually, I'm gay, is what she said. And she said, I was also, though, adopted. And so I wouldn't uh, be here maybe if it wasn't for people like you. And I'm so grateful. And so I was just kind of floored by her words to me at the time. And I tried to continue the conversation, you know, speak to her a little bit. But obviously that's uh, in the moment, that's all she really wanted to say. And so she said, thank you. And then just walked on and went about her business. So uh, in a very personal way, that is what I was blessed by uh, at one of the Marches for Life. It wasn't this past year, it was a few years before. Uh, but I give thanks to God for her witness to, um, yeah, just realizing the, the value of life. And, uh, you know, I felt like, you know, I didn't do much, uh, maybe at the march or maybe all of us marching. I feel like what effect do we have, that kind of thing, but it is very powerful. And also how much uh, we're blessed by those experiences too. So. Yeah, so that was a powerful experience for me. Yeah, that's it, it's so funny how the Lord, like they say, his sheep hear his voice, and everyone hears him in a different way. So thanks for sharing that, Father Jacob. I didn't know that story. Looking at the march for me this year started before the march with the mini march for life in Cincinnati, the Sunday before the actual march for life in Washington D.C. There a tribe of local people got together to pray the rosary right outside Planned Parenthood on Auburn Avenue in Cincinnati and it was actually Mr. Dave Willig, Father Jacob's dad who led us in time of prayer and reflection and they had a speaker there who I'm regretful that I forget his name but he also spoke so powerfully just about his own testimony about how in this pro-life time as as people are growing in a, especially the youth in awareness of how important this is we still find ourselves very challenged by articulating our stance or our way of especially someone who disagrees with the pro-life movement mm-hmm. how to engage there and he was just very strong in saying 
to not be afraid, just echoing the words of Pope John Paul II, of course, Jesus Christ. And just to be confident that like we can share a narrative. You don't have to have this perfect scientific method planned out of addressing all the issues, but just to engage, really to engage in dialogue. And that would, yeah, bring about some new life in someone else's awareness and to not be afraid of that. So I was really blessed by that. I think looking to the march itself in DC, one part that stuck out to me among many was at the summit, I think it was Michael Knowles, the producer of the Daily Wire. He's brought out this statistic that I had never thought of it in the terms that he put it. He said that since Roe versus Wade, 49 years, that Roughly speaking, there's been 60 million abortions in our country. However, if you do a little bit more math, thinking of, well, 49 years, so within that time frame of those 60 million, you could also identify that they would have been parents. So just taking the national average of a birth rate from those 60 million to two children per those missing 60 million actually adds another 60 million. Wow. And then if you take the idea of 49 years, and he did the math, and I forget exactly how he pulled it off, but basically that even of those 49 years, you could say that a small percentage of those would be grandparents. So even taking that small percentage and multiplying that out, you could, within reasonable math, say that that's another missing 60 million. So that actually the effect of Roe versus Wade has cut our American population in half hmm. since since that court case. Wow. That just blew my mind. That like wow. absolutely like just reframed how to think like, okay, this wasn't a small case, wasn't a small decision, but even like small decisions, right? Like small ways of living the faith, small ways of engaging in confrontational conversations with love that those steps, every small thing matters. Mm -hmm. It's like life, in a real way, life and faith are on the line. Mm -hmm. That's so good, so good too. And just following that, this morning I was just reflecting upon the summit. So we went to this pro-life summit the day after the march uh, and to hear many speakers there to speak about pro-life and many issues, many people gave witness. But one of them was of course in challenging everyone to commit to just speaking with one person the next month to just share, uh, to try and convince them, you know, it's the importance of this issue, the importance of standing up for life, because it is easy to forget and that it's not seen or, you know, just, yeah, the kind of statistics that most people don't hear about. So uh, just a good reminder for all of us, I think, and those people listening in, yes, how we're called to pray and that's important, but also to just act, you know, to have those uncomfortable conversations like you were saying and do something to uh, continually build up the culture of life. Mm. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, going off what you guys were saying about engaging with with people, talking to people, um, I think it's hard to argue sometimes. It doesn't actually touch hearts, but sharing a little bit from my testimony, what impacted me, what touched my heart over the March for Life was seeing Katie Shaw, who was the Down syndrome advocate. It, it actually brought me to tears yeah. um, because you see this woman who's 36 years old with down syndrome and she's 
not saying anything extremely profound. Mm -hmm. She was saying how she was part of a book club and was working full time. But you saw what people see as an inconvenience or a life that's not worth living. Mm -hmm. But to her, she just had so much joy. Yeah. And actually, I, I, <laughs> after watching the video, which we're going to put in our link because you need to watch it. It's yeah. five minutes. Even Father Mike Schmitz and everyone, I think Katie was the only one who actually got the whole crowd cheering, Katie, 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 because like, it was so powerful. And so that's kind of how I think I'm going to approach my one conversation this month is say, hey, like, what do you think about this? Did you know 70% of kids with Down syndrome are aborted? Can you like watch this video with me? And I think that's really how we got to have some of those conversations to actually be able to see the lives that really give a voice to the voiceless. And so, yeah, there's yeah. a lot. A lot there. I was going to add on to that. That was the, my favorite speech, too. And. Just, yeah, she mentions that there's a waiting list for people who want to adopt people who are, you know, who have Down syndrome. And, uh, yeah, she talked about, you know, of course, losing so many potential friends. You know, she has many of her friends, I'm sure, with Down syndrome now. But, yeah, the, there are waiting lists, you know, people who long to uh, receive these children or whatever disability uh, just with great joy. So, very powerful, just such a beautiful witness. Yeah. Yeah, it really is like such life, like in the face of the culture of death. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's what it was for me, a, a testimony to life, uh, which which was so powerful. Uh, so, yeah, but a, a common critique of, of the March for Life we hear all the time is, okay, so you go to this march, and once a year you march around for an hour and a half, and then you go home and you live your life until next year. Uh, and... We know this is the 49th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Dobbs versus Jackson is happening. It's likely to be overturned. Hopefully, we're praying every day. Uh, but so hopefully, there's not even a march next year. It's overturned. But that being said, like, what things can we do daily as college students to advocate for life? And maybe things that you you've seen as priests um, uh, in Michael, yeah, chime in too. Uh, that you think we can do for the pro life movement. And I think you really touched on it earlier where it's, there is the element of like, oh, in February and in, in January, everyone is super excited about, you know, pro-life issues. But then, you know, middle of the summer comes along and people aren't thinking about them as much. So I think like, especially like bringing it, um, you know, home with us when we're in the March. I sadly did not be able, I didn't, wasn't able to go to Washington, D.C. I only went to in my the local march in Chicago and Rockford, Illinois. But even then, you know, you really have to like, you, yeah. I was chanting, I was so excited at these marches, and I have to really bring that home and take that passion, you know, with me in order to, like, give me the courage to actually have the conversation with somebody. Because at college, it's so hard to, like, when you know that most people are not on your side with that issue and you're kind of in enemy territory, you really have to be a sheepdog and you have to really be able to just, like, Say, oh, like, wow, hey, wow, yippee, oh, yippee. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, like, like, this is what I believe, and you have to yeah, share it boldly, and there's going to be people that, like, don't agree with it, and, and that's okay. Um, but somebody somebody is going to be touched by that if you if you do it, so. Yeah, and, and, and off that, like, how often you can feel so isolated in your college campus, even at public university like Miami or Cincinnati, but being at the Pro-Life Summit specifically listening to act the cheers of everyone in that room is pro-life it made me think when i go back to my college 
I can just imagine whenever I'm having that one conversation, I have those thousands of people cheering for me. You know, not to mention the 60 million uh, lives that are eternal. We know they're they're cheering for us too. You know, and uh, yeah. So, I don't know, Father, you got uh, any thoughts on that? At the University of Cincinnati, as mentioned, we are very close in proximity to Planned Parenthood, which actively has abortions. They're performed regularly. So that's one move that I think is so critical, so important, is to pray. And yet to echo what Father Jacob was saying, it's not enough. I mean, it sounds crazy to say that, but I mean, that's true to our faith too, right? Like we can't just like be in our monastery and pray all day and not, ex- and not do more. That it's like mm-hmm. aura et labora, right? We mm-hmm. got to like work and pray. And I think it is difficult for us to engage in an uncomfortable way with people that we might label, right? That we as Catholics might label like, oh, that girl that's got blue hair and has like a rainbow flag pin. For sure, this or that about them. But it's like, you know what? We're all human. And I think the pro-life movement in a real way reaches down into that foundational place that we can have edifying conversation even if it's disagreeing and one speaker at the summit was Trent Horn if you remember some of the things he said which yeah he's got great stuff but he kind of he had this way of engaging in those conversations through these like four A's and the first one was affirm affirm where you have commonality. So if you're you're going to this place where you're having like, yeah, what do you believe about life? What do you believe about a women's rights? What do you believe about the dignity of every human person? Listening and then in the next move of our conversation with them to like affirm what can be seen as true. Mm-hmm. Because then it's like, I'm not just here to like beat you in this oral argument. Yeah. I'm here to like, actually hopefully be a part of the conversion of your heart because that's the only real way we know that our arguments our logic is correct that like life begins in the womb and all the science behind that and you can do that presentation perfectly but if you don't do it with some ability to have a place where they're heard as well it's not going to work. It's not going to achieve the end in which we're trying for, which is, I would say, truly that conversion of heart. So to like affirm the good, but like from there, you still have to. He had three other points. Is like I forget what the second one was, but agree. Went, I think it was affirm, agree. I have it in my notes. And then the last two were ask why, you know, to, and then the last one was aha to like ask why they believe what what they believe after you present some contradiction to their thought that's ordered in the dignity of life. So I think that's good because you don't want to just affirm, that's great. That can be our like natural, again, like comfort zone. But then you do have to take that bold step of like, well, applying these principles that you yourself have offered us. I think one example he used was some woman in like a foreign country that's poor, has a two-year-old and a four-year-old and is pregnant and well, she can't afford to carry this baby to term. And he said, 
oh, I agree with you. That would be really hard, that situation. But then he said, well, what if she took the life of her two-year-old and kept the life in her womb? And they're like, well, no, I mean, that would be not right. And he said, well, then ask why. Well, why is that any different? If that's a life and the life in her are seen to be the same, yeah, how is that any different? Mm-hmm. And having them to have, you know, so yeah. just all of that. And and what, what it comes back to and what he was really emphasizing was what are the unborn? Mm-hmm. That's what it all came back to. Because if you can get them to realize that the unborn are people, because that's what it's all about, mm-hmm. and everyone can understand that killing a person is wrong, so it's really getting people to see the personhood of the life in the womb. So, yeah. Right, and not getting distracted from that topic, I think, mm. is difficult. You know, people bring up other things, whether it's poverty or, of course, struggles. We all, everyone has, you know, different struggles and tough situations. We're not blaming, blaming them for that. But, yeah, uh, to keep focused on the one, that one question, which you just mentioned, you know, it, what is life in the womb? So uh, that helps us to keep the argument in one that doesn't go off in every which direction and then we then we get confused or lose or yeah so yeah just listening to you guys um kind of walk talk through it um a little bit i just kind of realize right now that when usually when i think of like a a debate between somebody that's pro-life and pro-choice it's very like intellectual and it's very like oh i want to prove to them intellectually that, that I'm right and that it's kind of like for me I want to like beat you in a way at least that's how I like experienced it a little bit when I was younger but you guys are saying it in such a way where it's like comes from like an aspect of just charity where it's like oh I want this for you I want you to understand and I'm not I, I'm not doing it for me because I want to you know explain that my logic is so much better like you said even though it might be it is yeah. uh, um, mm-hmm. that I'm doing it for you because it's helpful for you to understand this and you will have so much joy and peace with yourself once you understand this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's really good. And that's what it all comes down to, right? Like, did you love? Did you love? Um, and I want to touch real quick uh, on, like, how can we live boldly Catholic? Like, in this issue, I once heard that a couple priests. Uh, they they started praying exorcism prayers outside abortion clinics. Uh, it was specifically in Rockford, Illinois. Um, every week they would do this. Um, every week for two and a half years, these priests would stand outside, say an exorcism prayer, and after two and a half years, it wasn't actually a pro-life uh, nonprofit that shut them down. It was the city that came out and said, not only do you have to close down, but you can never reopen again. Hmm. And a priest that was telling me this was just saying like it's the power we're, we're, we're facing evil mm-hmm. we're facing principalities and powers and that's a perspective that as Catholics we are able to have um, so yeah um, I want to give a shout out real quick to Sarah Miller who president of Students for Life here at Miami because she organized a trip for Miami so shout out to her and we're actually going to be doing some collabs with UC praying outside come on outside of uh, UC, the Planned Parenthood on Auburn Avenue. Uh, so yeah, on that, on that kind of note, yeah, how can we live boldly Catholic in this pro-life movement? Yeah, I think following that, I mean, maybe people, you know, think on their own, maybe there's not that much to do, but really just getting involved to what's already going on. You know, of course, personal conversations can be important, but there's so many things out there, right? Like joining us or other groups to pray at Planned Parenthood. And a lot of people might be discouraged and think like, wow, I don't know, that's a bold step. 
it's a bold step. But I think it's go so good to think back to like World War II, you know, concentration camps. Like if we really knew what was going on, would we just stand by the sidelines? You know, would we just stand by the sidelines? And so be not afraid is what, uh, yeah, be not afraid, right? Be not afraid to take that step or like even tabling. We did tabling here on campus, which is another great thing to get involved in your pro-life group at campus. Um, we just started inviting people. Sarah was inviting people to the trip. One guy came. Uh, he's Muslim, and I know he was really blessed by the trip. Um, and so even just to go on a trip or go pray with a group or like pregnancy centers really need volunteers too, whether you're a man uh, or a woman. Uh, so just like the practical things are already out there, just be not afraid to like think about something you get involved in and then just to do it, I think. Yeah. Father Jacob, you told me something that when you're praying outside of an abortion clinic, you need to be thinking like, it's like Auschwitz in front of us. Mm-hmm. And that really hit me. Like, inspired. yeah, do not be afraid. We're, we're on the good team. We're, we're the ones doing a good thing here. And we need to have confidence that God, the God of angel armies, is really on our side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, just doing it out of love too, right? I know I heard a great homily about Dr. Bernard Nathanson, right, who became Catholic later. He grew up kind of as a Jew, Jewish physician, became atheist, you know, performed all these abortions in New York City. And then eventually converted, you know, and became pro-life. And so there's the power of every human being, you know. And so we're praying for these people out of good for them. Uh, because, yeah, they need conversion. But uh, how to help them, how to love into that. So, yeah. Father Ethan, I'll give you the final word. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I was just thinking, as you were saying, because I don't think I can add anything more to what Father Jacob just said there. Because it is so good. The practicals and the what is happening that we can join up with maybe just to throw out or a challenge to the men that are listening specifically to be bold in this move is to really number one grow in purity like grow in the purity of our hearts to actively like pursue a way that we see ourselves and the women in our life as truly beautiful and dignified as potential mothers and though on our campuses and just in our world, I think for some of our ladies that are out there, they don't necessarily see that. I mean, I don't know if you're really thinking about that on a college campus yet anyways, uh, about being a mom, but trying to find a space where we, where men can really affirm women ones they know but he, even ones they don't know for like the gift that they are for the potential that they have for them being those made in this image and likeness of God that bears forth life and joy through children I think if women saw themselves as God sees them and was able to hear the father's voice through a young man's voice, how powerful that would be in a true sense. Final word. That's wow. a good one. It was a good final word. Thanks, Father. Well, um, yeah, there's there's so much there. I know, personally, I'm going to be getting involved a lot more in the uh, Students for Life here. Uh, and I was telling a friend, like, the pro-life mo- movement is, is worth devoting your whole life to. It just yeah. is, and, and I kind of felt that yeah. for myself, and so I don't know how specifically I'm going to do that, but I know for the rest of my life that's going to be a part of who I am, and I'm making that statement today. So, um, yeah. So could could we close in a in a prayer though? Maybe a glory be. 
Mm. Come on. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, we give you glory for this conversation, for life, and our ability to live it for you. So we pray all glory be to, to the, the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Sheepdogs out. Sheepdogs out. Oh. 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 <laughs> <laughs>